Welcome back to Basic Bananas Radio, where we share tried and tested ways to grow your brand and get more customers. Everything from the latest in marketing and branding, right through to growing your team and creating an irresistible culture. Hi there, it is such an honor to be here today with a very special guest, Jack Daly. And Jack Daly is just an amazing human, first and foremost, but also probably one of the best salespeople in the world. And he does a lot of talks on that. He is a leading sales speaker and trainer that he has been doing for over 30 years. And Jack's track record is a testament to his real world knowledge and extended extensive experience in sales and also sales management and he's built also six companies and they've grown into national firms along the way two of which he then sold to the wall street firms of solomon brothers and first boston now in addition to all this and in addition to his his professional background he also holds a bachelor in accounting also an mba and he was a captain in the u.s army Jack is also a best-selling author of multiple books, which some of them we will link also in the show notes, and he's contributed to many more. One of the Some of the books that you may know or that definitely you want to check out are Hyper Sales Pros, The Sales Playbook, and the latest one also, which is called A Year in the Life of Jack Daly. So let's welcome Jack. Hey, Jack, thank you so much for joining me today. It's such a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, you know, we had an opportunity to talk for a few minutes before the broadcast, and uh, I didn't want the conversation to stop, quite frankly. So we're ready to go, uh, and let's see where we go. Yeah, absolutely. And I saw you actually doing a presentation for our chapter here in Sydney for Entrepreneurs Organization. And Everyone loved it so much. I met a lot of uh, my peers, fellow entrepreneurs organization members after and at other events. And, and it's still you're still the talk of town here, quite understandable. <laughs> and, and so after that session, I thought, you know what? I must bring this guy to our audience here at Basic Bananas. Our audience, our listeners, our viewers here are business owners and they crave great information stuff that is practical stuff that has worked for for you you only share stuff that is proven and you've got a massive track record i shared it already on the introduction here so let's jump straight in and maybe if you want to get started with sharing a little bit about the i think you called it the three sins of sales management yeah so the first thing i would tell you is i am with my tribe uh, you know, having built a half a dozen businesses from a blank sheet of paper and they all went nationwide in the States, um, I, I'm still the guy that just visualizes myself as just a regular guy that grabs a piece of paper and sketches a business and then tries to convince other people to join him. And all of a sudden I've got hundreds and thousands of employees and uh, what a joy it is to build a business. But you know, when I start to talk about how I've built my businesses and my clients' businesses over the years, um, an awful lot of smaller entrepreneurs, they hear it and they go, I, I, I can't imagine, how, how could you do that that quickly? Um, and, um, and one of the reasons that so many entrepreneurs don't scale at a great speed, what I call hyper sales growth, um, one, of the re- one of the big reasons is they're guilty of what you just said, committing one or more of the three sins of sales management. 
So let me give it to you because I'm betting that your followers are sinners. So the but so are we. I'm sure, yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> so, I think we are sinners too. So yes. <laughs> so the first sin I find is the business owner entrepreneur um, is also wearing the hat of the sales manager. And the problem with that is every moment that you're wearing the CEO owner hat, you're not growing the, the, the company. Because if you want to grow your business, grow your sales force in quantity and quality, and that's the sales manager's job, right? So um, none of us get in the business to grow our company part-time, but if you're wearing two hats, you are growing your company part-time. And if you were hiring a good sales manager, they will pay for themselves in less than a year with the increased business their team that they build brings in. So there's really no excuse not to bring that person in on a full-time basis. The second sin that we see committed out there is where we take our best salesperson and make them our sales manager. That happens to be successful probably 5% of the time. Let me show it to you the other way. 95% of the time it fails. What happens is you lose your best salesperson and get a mediocre at best sales manager. They're two different jobs. They require two different skill sets. Um, and we don't train them and prepare them to be the sales manager. So eventually they get frustrated because they're not enjoying success. So they leave and go to work for a competitor in their own position, which was selling, and we've lost everything. And then the third sin, which is the most grievous of the three, is we take our best salesperson, we make them the sales manager and say, continue as a seller and work your territory. Because um, that's a fail because the person's going to spend the majority of their time selling and working their territory. And that's not what the greatest value to the company is. The greatest value is hire salespeople and get them to be better at what they do. So all three of those sins are being committed by so many small to medium-sized companies that they're in their own way in terms of growing. Yeah. Yeah, and I agree. Would you say that the the skill set of the sales manager is, is different to the sales person? So the person that you hire is is different or or would it be also a sales person? Oh, that can... for, for sure. They're very different. Look, a salesperson's job, let's just do it real simple. Win new customers, grow the ones you have. That's a salesperson's job. Sales manager is assessing whether you have the right people on the team, then recruiting, training, coaching, building, and developing a sales team. Nothing that I just said there was experienced by the salesperson. And in fact, I would also tell you that you could hire somebody as the sales manager that didn't have any experience in your industry, and they could be phenomenal sales managers because their job is not to sell, it's to build salespeople. Yeah, I, I love that distinction. And also the first point, the first thing that you highlighted, and then you also overcame the objection that I believe a lot of our listeners and viewers would have, which is, well, okay, I, I must hire a sales person because I shouldn't be only focusing on that. I can't wear the two hats. Somebody needs to own it, but I can't afford it. And what you said is actually a good sales manager will cover the costs and more. Yeah, yeah. I'd also say this, Francesca, is, is um, how do you pay them? And um, the, I run into resistance all over the world on this, but I overcome it. Um, 
the more I can get the sales people and sales manager to be the majority of their income at risk or commission, um, the better I find I sleep at night. I have no problem with a salesperson and sales manager making a lot of money. In fact, most of mine have made more than me and I own the business. Um, and where my wealth was in the exit of the business, the value of the business itself. Um, and so I, it's not a cost saving measure, but I pay people based on how they produce. And the more you produce, the more you make. So if you don't produce, it doesn't cost me anything. Yeah. yeah. And, and I remember we had this conversation at the event where we were um, spending time together and somebody did ask, well, how do you pitch that? How do you pitch for someone to want to be remunerated mainly based on their performance? Yeah. And, and, and so, I, you know, I had a flip chart that day and I, I said, I've got three different pay plans, an A, a B and a C. And the A plan had a very high base and very little commission. And then the B plan had a so-so base and more commission. And the C plan had a commission only. But the, the, when you compare the A, B, and C, the commission only, you could make so much more money than the A or B. So when I put those in front of a candidate, I say, which one are you interested in? Well, the person that tells me I'm interested in A, which is the very secure big base, the, 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 they could be making half of what the C person could make, the commission only person. And if that's their choice, they're basically telling you, They don't believe in your product, in your company, and themselves. So why would we ever hire that person? What we want is the person that says, wow, C is terrific. I can make a lot of money there. All I need to do is learn the business and let me go. So um, my whole life in sales, I've been the commission only. Give me everything. Let me go. Um, I don't need a base. I'll make a lot more money the other way. Yeah. Yeah. Because you are the perfect most one of the most successful salespeople is that there is and that's your mindset and that those are the people that you obviously want to hire with that yeah mindset. yeah look, look there's there's so many dynamics here fifty uh, percent or more of selling success is the six inches between our ears it's attitudinal and so one of my advantages is i sell from a place of strong belief and i have a strong belief in myself i remember my first sales job i was seven years old And I made these little pot holders that you could hold the pan that was a hot handle with it, not get burned. And all of the people that were making those pot holders were little girls. And I was the only little boy that sold them. And I'd knock on these moms and grandmoms houses and say, I'm selling these pot holders. And they would say, well, I already got it from Mary and Sally and Sue. And I'd say, yeah, well, they're all little girls. You don't have one made by a little boy. And I know that because I'm the only little boy selling it. And so you got to have at least one, if not two, they buy a little boy. Do you want one or two? Now, I own the market and the little girls share the market. And when you own the market, what can you charge? Anything you want. I charge twice the price and sold them to everybody. And so I looked at that objection and said, I can overcome that objection. So my only other kids at seven years old were playing hide and seek and tag. Jack was playing sales. And I've been selling ever since. It is a joy. So whenever we have people that are giving us objections, that's not a bad thing. You know what they're saying? 
They're saying, I want to do business with you, except I'm not comfortable here. So our job as a salesperson is get them comfortable there. The person that has that's indifferent, they don't give us anything back. That's the tough sale. But the easy sale is when they're saying, I have this objection. Oh, your price is too high. I'm already happy doing this with somebody else. I have plenty of stock and I don't need you right now. Oh, the, that's a person that's saying, hey, tell me why I should do business with you. And guess what? You can figure out those answers before you ever get out there. Yeah, I love that. And and one thing quickly, this is sort of a, we, were, we weren't going to go there, but let's do a quick recommendation intermission here. You talk, you just mentioned it's, it's very much about mindset and you're showcasing this exactly as a seven-year-old boy, six, seven-year-old boy. You mentioned the book at the event, the, the one on mindset, and I listened yeah. to it on Audible and it's brilliant. What is it called? Mindset? It, is, it is called Mindset. And it's, it's by Carol DeWick. And basically she says, um, we're not born with one of these two mindsets. We choose a mindset, a growth mindset or a fixed mindset. The growth mindset person looks at the whole world as full of opportunities. The fixed mindset person looks at the world and says, here's the reasons why I can't do something. Um, I, I don't have the can't word. All I have is the can word. Uh, I can figure that out. I can do this. I can do that. I'm the oldest of five kids. So I have all my other siblings are younger than me, but we're all pretty old. We're old adults now. And they all live on the East Coast in the States. And I live on the Pacific Ocean on the West Coast. And I moved here 37 years ago. And every time my siblings come out and are, are with me, the weather is ideal here compared to the snow and cold that they're living in. And they go, well, I, I don't know why I don't live here. And I say, well, I don't know why you don't either. Get yourself a plane ticket and come on out. And then on their ride back, they come up with all the reasons why they can't do it. I can't do yeah. it for this reason. I can't yeah. do it for that reason. Uh, you know, whatever the circumstances are out there, I don't view wor the world with a problem mentality. I view it with an opportunity mentality. And that's what that's what the mindset book is about. It's one of my top five favorite books that I've read in the past couple of years. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And 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 just all the examples in there. And funnily enough, I, I always thought that I 100% have a gross mindset. And I do, except I realized she started talking about relationships. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I think I have or used to have a little bit of a fixed mindset when it comes to relationships, because I used to think that when you are with someone, it needs to be perfect from the beginning or it's not meant to be. That was sort of my thinking. And now I realize, oh, actually, whenever I have a, you know, a brawl with my partner, it's like, ah, I don't need to run away from this. It's okay. You know, so it's quite interesting. I found it very, very um, insightful. That's now, great. That, I'm glad that you took that away from the book. There are so many things that are analogous in business that fit the form of life. You know, I I've just finished writing my 10th book and published this year. And the other nine books really? that I wrote were all about business. My 10th one is about how to maximize your life. And what's interesting, when I wrote the book, it's called Jack Daly's Life by Design. Um, it's a process. It, I designed my life with the processes as I use in my business. Pretty yeah. interesting. Yeah, and it's a great book, by the way. I've got a, I've got a copy, and I started reading it. Now back to sales. 
The second thing in terms of sales that, that you discussed that I would love for you to share here is having a sales playbook. I think this is so important and not many of us have that. So do you want to share a little bit what it is and what needs to go in it? Yeah, so I'm, 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 I love the fact that you're bringing that up. Uh, eight years ago, I published this book and it's called Hyper Sales Growth and it went off to unbelievable success. And in fact, um, uh, Amazon just today, and they're doing it for eight days, um, they just made the Kindle version um, $1.99. Like, I can't even believe that they're doing that. Um, so if you haven't read Hyper Sales Growth, you could get it on Kindle for $2. Uh, but but here's the thing. Uh, in the in the Hyper Sales Growth, I convinced the reader they needed a sales playbook. And um, and and they came to me and said, I, I, I want I want to hire you to do this. And I said, well, just send me your sales playbook and then I'll, I'll be able to build your next level up. Ninety eight out of every hundred companies that contact me did not have a sales playbook. So here's the message that I want to give to the listener. Um, if your organization doesn't have a sales playbook, that means every salesperson you have is doing it different, doing it their own way. And so that makes no sense to me. My largest sales force was 2,600 salespeople. And what I used to tell them is there aren't 2,600 best ways to sell this stuff. So the sales playbook is very simply this. What are the best practices in order to be the best salesperson in this industry, right? And so um, if there's going to be objections, maybe you pick the top 10 objections that you run into and the best answers, and you put all that in the playbook. If selling is about asking the right questions, well, let's figure out what the right questions to ask and put it in the playbook. Um, if, if, if selling is about using your time most efficiently, well, then let's figure out what the high payoff activities are and identify those and schedule those in our diary so that we're focused on the things that will give us an advantage over the competition. Um, it's, it, it, I can tell you, it's not the best price. Um, it's not the best product that wins the day. What, what wins the day is the best prepared. The person who's best prepared is the person who has the advantage. And a sales playbook gives you that advantage. Yeah, I agree with that. And and we, we have a sales playbook here. And after the session with you also I had a look through and, and you know, there's a few updates that we need to make. And I agree, it's the best prepared person. And then also the person that is really skillful at reading people. And that brings me into the last question and something that you shared that opened my eyes and, and many of, of the people that were there at the event is understanding the different personalities that people mm. have we had four in in this in this framework because yeah. then the salesperson that is prepared and flexible in the approach will be the one that is going to make a sale do you want For to share sure. a little bit yeah about I, 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 absolutely you know i'm really happy that you're bringing this up because uh, if i could ever get somebody's attention it's with this statement you could have the best product at the best price with the best service and you're at risk of losing 75% of all of the opportunities that are out there. If you're not sensitive to the differences in people, 
Mm-hmm. People do business with people they like, and they tend to like people that are more like them. Mm-hmm. And so we have to have our antennae alive at all times, even while selling over the phone and never seeing the prospect um, and figuring out what style of person is this? Because the best salespeople are chameleons. They morph into being more like the person they're calling on. And so um, we got to be one of four styles by about the age of 13, based upon the genetics that we were built with and then how our parents raised us. Once you're in a style uh, by about the age of 13, you're, you're in it for life. And the three quarters of the world is living in a different style. So the four styles, as I teach it, um, is there is the analytical, who is very interested in detail and tends to have a long sales call, and they're going to be slow to make decisions. That person is very different from the driver uh, style, who is all about control and wants the call to be very short. Then you've got the social person, I call the expressive person, who's outgoing and creative and the life of the party. Uh, And then you have the amiable person who's warm and kind and gentle. And so uh, the biggest accidents we have in style conflict is the analytical and the expressive because the analytical wants detail and the expressive wants to buy them a ticket to the game and a beer. Uh, and they're frustrated with one another. And then the driver tends to be domineering and the amiable says, you're a big meanie. And, and, the, and, the, and the driver says, oh, yeah, but you're a weak cupcake. Uh, and they've got this tension. And so, you know, I'm a driver and I'm going for the finish line and I'm very aggressive and, and I can be loud and quick and all of those types of things. But if I'm calling on an amiable, then I lower my voice, I speak slower, but I'm sensitive to that amiable style and I'm putting them in a place of comfort. But if the amiable was calling on me and talking like this, I'd want to rip their head off (laughs) because they're not sensitive to my style. So a salesperson that gets to understand what is the style of this person. And so there is another, I'm a voracious reader. There is a book specifically on this area that is so well-written for salespeople. It was written for salespeople. It's called The Platinum Rule, R-U-L-E. And it's written by a guy by the name of Tony Alessandra. And Tony said this, we all know the golden rule. Treat people like you want to be treated. Tony said, turn it into platinum and treat them the way they want to be treated. Mm -hmm. And then one of the things that we teach is once you figure out a person's style, put the style identity in your contact management system right next to the person's name. Then before you get on the phone or out of the car or you get onto an email online, you can look up their style. If you were calling on me, you'd say, well, Jack's the driver. Well, what does that mean? Well, he doesn't want any small talk. He wants you to get right to the point. He wants it to be quick. Tell him now he's going to benefit and be done with the call. Like, go on, because this is the way that guy is wired. Yeah, styles are really important. Very clever. 
Very clever. I love that. And we also, for for all this, the listeners here and the viewers, we'll put all the resources also in the show notes, the links to Jack's books and the books here that, that we are recommending. The one quick question on this, and I think the answer will, is I'm sort of asking and answering. So to find out the person's style, I guess you have to be just paying attention to how they communicate, how they use the voice, the questions that they ask, things like that. For sure. And, and, and Tony's book takes you through all that. Now, if you really push me, I can make it really simple because you only really need the answer to two questions to figure out a person's style. The first question is, is the person more assertive or less assertive? And probably anybody who's listening in on here would say, well, Jack's more assertive. So if you say that you're talking to a more assertive person as a salesperson, that means they're not analytical and they're not amiable. So you sweep the deck of those two right away. Then the second question you need to know is how does that person make their decisions? Do they make their decisions logically or emotionally, right? Well, if you've been listening to this broadcast, I'm telling you systems and processes and playbook, which means I'm a basic logic guy. So logic and more assertive is a driver. And, you know, Tony Alessandro in his book puts it together with a little matrix of four styles and four boxes, and it makes it so easy to understand and learn. And when you were when you were at the EO event that you heard me speak, that's exactly what I did. And so Tony Alessandro and I are long term good friends, because when I first read his book, I needed to go find him and give him a hug and say, you're making me a lot of money. <laughs> That's so great. And and I just, you know, remember a specific example where this, this framework applies so perfectly in, in a, a story when I bought one of my very first cars was a beetle. And I just wanted it for the color it was. And because it's a beetle and had a flower and it was blue, it was electric blue. So I drove out an hour from Sydney out west to get this car and the sales guy and I'm a driver too. So I just want people to go, let's go, you know, buy, yeah, done. And this guy was analytical. So this guy, the salesman started talking about how it comes with insurance and all this blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't care. I don't want to know all these details. Just let me get this car. He's like, oh, do you want to go test drive it? I'm like, no, I just want to buy it. <laughs> so it, it actually reminds me, you know, how this guy clearly didn't know this knowledge. Hey, and I'll, I'll do you because I wanted to uh, it's a great example, and I'm going to do you one better. And I'm, anybody that's listening is going to benefit from this. This whole style thing is magical in your mm -hmm. personal life too. Mm -hmm. uh, your your significant other, your spouse, has a possible different style than you. Are you are you are you conscious of it and respectful of it? Because if you want it to have a very, very vibrant relationship with not, not a lot of tension, just adjust to their style. So uh, my first wife, who passed away five years ago from cancer, we were together for 47 marriage years, 52 years together as a couple. And uh, her name was Bonnie, and she was an analytical and I was a driver, which meant that I needed to spend a longer time with her to get her comfortable making decisions. Even though I thought we should be able to make those decisions quick. But if I wasn't respectful of her style, she would get annoyed at me. Right. And so I had to give her time and give her space and let her get to where I was very quickly. Right. And yeah. uh, and, and, and by the way, she had to learn how to deal with me 
and my kind of rush to the end zone type of personality. And, 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 and even further in the family, kids. So your kids are different styles. So when people say, I'm having difficulty getting this kid to do this and this kid to do that, well, are you, are you conscious of their style? Because yeah. if you're conscious of their style, they're going, they're going to do things that you want them to do a lot easier. That's such great wisdom. That's such great wisdom that we can apply. I have one last question, maybe two last questions, but one of them is what, how do you, where do you get all this energy from? I believe you ran your first marathon at age 46 and then you ran a marathon in every state or in 49 states, at least 50 now. 50 states, yeah. 50 states, yeah. seven continents, 100 marathons in total. And I didn't start wow. my first one until I was 46. Um, my, my, my last one was number 100 in Athens. It was last year. And I was uh, 72 years old at the time. Um, and, um, you know, and, and, I, and I've done 15 full Ironmans. And I didn't do my first Ironman until I was 58 years old. Uh, which, you know, is a 3.8 kilometer swim, 180 kilometer bike and a 42 kilometer run all together. Right. Uh, in fact, today they're doing the world championship Ironman in Hawaii today. That's the race is going uh -huh. on. I did the world championship race uh, in 2013. Uh, so nine uh -huh. years ago, I was there racing that one. Uh, uh, so th so there's there's an answer to that energy level. Uh, one of them, I was blessed. Uh, and got passed down by my mom's energy. So um, she she infused a whole lot of energy in me. And, um, and, and I used to remark about her when she was in her 70s and she was full of energy, right? Um, but the other thing that gives me a really competitive advantage is I'm very conscious of taking care of myself physically. And so, you know, I was in, the, in my home gym this morning for three hours working out. Uh, I, after this podcast today, I'm going out for another run for another hour to an hour and a half. And then I'm going to the gym for weight work. So uh, today I'll put in about five hours. My typical day is about three hours of exercise every single day. And I'm very conscious of my diet as well. So fried foods is a rarity, lots of fish, lots of veggies. Uh, and, and, and I happen to like all of that. I, I like exercise. I like eating healthy. I like. And and so when I was 69 years old, four years ago, uh, we had we, my doctors ran all of these tests and they said, based on everything that we have available, um, you're the equivalent of a 38 year old male. When wow. I was 69 years old, wow. uh, my my kids are 43 and 51. <laughs> so wow. it's a competitive advantage. Right. Yeah. Um, it, it, yeah. it truly is. It's unbelievable. And, and you can see how this energy also then translates into business, into your events that you run, into your speaking gigs. It just comes out. You just have this vibrant energy. And, you know, I did one marathon. I didn't train for it. I did the New York City Marathon in my sort of mid-30s. I'm not really a runner. I'm a surfer and, you know, an ocean person. And I had sore. I ran the whole thing nonstop. It took me, I think, four and a half or just under five hours. And, and I had sore ankles in my 30s for about six months. <laughs> so. but, but 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 wait a second the, the, i want to make sure the listeners heard you didn't train for it so that's oh, the biggest right yeah, that's but, the, that was the problem but you picked a great race i i, I you know i've done a hundred i've done new york four times and it's one of my favorites Beautiful. it's you oh. know two million people on the sideline cheering you on 
it's incredible. It's, fa- it's fantastic. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah. And running through all the different suburbs and the different flavors, it's incredible. You just see the change of every suburb. It's it's like a cultural journey for a few hours. It absolutely yeah. is. It starts on it starts it start it starts on the Verrazano Bridge and you run and finish in Central Park. And the whole flavor is changed all the way as you go, not just the people, but the size of the buildings. Uh, by the yeah. time you get to New York City proper in the in Midtown, the buildings are so high and it's later in the day. Um, they're da- it's dark, uh, even if you're at four and a half hours because you start late in the day and the sun's being blocked by these tall buildings. Um, but most of the race, you're not in the tall buildings. You're making your way to them. When you're on the top of Arizona Bridge, you only have raced one mile and you can see where you're going to finish from the top of the bridge. Yeah. It's fantastic. It is. It's incredible. Now, to finish up, is there any question or are there any questions that I didn't ask that you think I should ask? Uh, so I, I, I would tell you that uh, uh, how how do you keep uh, how do you keep a marriage through 47 years and be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Uh, I think had that... written down. Yeah, yeah. I had written down any, any thoughts on relationships because clearly yeah. here we have a master. So yes. Yeah. So, so, so uh, uh, make sure before you get involved in a relationship uh, to have the, to have the hard conversations early. Um, what we do in, in cultivating relationships on a personal nature, dating uh, and, and proposing and getting married and that type of thing, um, it's all lovey-dovey. And, 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 and we don't let the dark secrets out until after the deed is done. Um, I, 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 I have those conversations before we even begin. So before my wife, Bonnie, and I got married, I said, listen, uh, before we get married, l- let's really talk about who we really are so that we're sure that we want to live with somebody like this. Like like, like for me, I told her, I, I will never do anything around the house. Like n- I'll never own a tool. I'll never hold a hammer. Uh, I, and I'm not asking you to do that. Uh, I'll always find a way to make money so that we can hire people to do that. But don't look for me to do those things. And if that's going to be an irritant for you, I might not be the right guy for you, right? Uh, and 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 I'd like to know some things about you that you haven't told me, so that I know whether you're the gal for me, uh, you know. And so uh, I, I'm going to be addicted to running and building businesses, which means there's a lot of nights I'm not going to make it home for dinner on time. And yet your your dad showed up after his work every day at five fifteen and expected dinner on the table at 530. Uh, I, I'm not going to have a life like that. Uh, I'm I, I'm going to call you at four o'clock and you're going to expect me at six. And I'm going to say, I'm not coming home until 10. And that's going to happen a lot. And there's going to be a lot of days where I'm going to travel. And, you know, is that a, and we're going to move a lot. Um, we're, we, so if you're going to think we're going to buy a house and stay there for 30 years, um, in 47 years, um, Bonnie and I lived in 27 different homes. But I told her that that was going to happen before we ever got married, right? Yeah. So my advice is have the hard conversations early. And if that breaks up the relationship, you saved yourself a lot of heartache down the road. And, and right. by the way, that same approach is what I've done in selling. 
I make sure that with my clients, they're going to be happy early and understand how I do business. Because if I'm not a good partner for them, it'll eventually come out. And then we have a very uncomfortable relationship splitting up. Um, I'd rather make sure I'm with the ideal customer and it makes it easier all the way around. And, and by the way, all of that builds trust. And at the end of the day, people do business with people they trust and people fall in love with people they trust too. Yeah, I agree. It, it's, it's such important advice. And my partner, Tommy, always jokes about how when we first met, I gave him all, he said every week he got a test, like a personality test or a love languages test. He's like, every damn week he gave me some test that I had to go through. I'm like, yeah, you know, because I'm taking Jack's advice and I want to see if this is worth investing in for both of us or if we're not compatible. <laughs> hey, let me, let me give you one more that's just tactical, but it's really cool. Um, so I have a new wife. And I didn't know that that would ever happen, but it was a client of 20 some years. And we've now been together for three years and I travel and she owns and runs an $80 million business. And so she's primarily not traveling. Um, but whenever I travel, I just came back from a 10 day travel trip. Um, I, uh, before I left, uh, I snuck around the house and I put eight personalized cards with love notes um, in different places, in her underwear drawer, in her closet, in the refrigerator, in the oven. And so she, during the week that I was away, she'd open up something and there would be another card. And it, she just felt my love, right? Um, and incidentally, those same touch pieces I've been doing in business most of my life too. Yeah. Uh, and so it's it's a process. And I did it with Bonnie. I'm doing it with Karen. And the smiles are huge. And it's so easy. It's so easy to do. I love that. I'm going to copy that. I, I mentioned to you earlier, I'm just going to be quiet here because uh, Tom works in an office nearby here. I'm going, we, I'm coming to LA and I'm going to do the love notes thing. I think that's really, that's really nice. And as you said, you can use this with your team too. And we sometimes do it. Sometimes when I'm here late or early, I'll leave little post-it notes, little love notes on people's computers or other people do it also. So yeah, I love that. Thank you so much, Jack. I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom today. And this and this is and and this is from Karen, my new wife, who's doing the same thing to me now because she said it makes her feel so good when I go away. So she's now doing it when she goes away. It's so nice. And it, on the front of this card, it says, "How do we get lucky?" or something like that. And he was talking probably about making our own luck, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you again for joining us today here and sharing your wisdom. This has been such a, an honor and pleasure to do with you. And, and make sure yeah. that if you come to the States and you are near Los Angeles, I am near Los Angeles. I want to see you. 100%. I'll let you know as soon as I have my itinerary and we'll catch up in a few weeks. I can't wait. Beautiful. Thanks, Thanks so much. Good to you see bet. you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. To get more from Basic Bananas and to learn new ways to grow your business with clever marketing, visit basicbananas.com.